When a rancher discovered a crash site on his land, he brought what he found to the Air Force. What followed was a decades-long debate on where the debris came from, with many believing it was a UFO even now. Today, we discuss the famous story that permeates all of UFO folklore, the Roswell Incident. This is Red Web. Task Force, welcome back on In Through Those Doors. This is the Red Web Podcast, all about unsolved cases in this wild world that we live in. True crime, cryptids, aliens, supernatural, everything in between that we don't fully know about. I am your resident mystery enthusiast, Trevor Collins, and joining me hearing this mystery, potentially, it's famous, for the very first time, Alfredo Diaz. Hello, 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 Task Force. Mm -hmm. Um, First off, can't believe we haven't done Roswell. I don't... You said that, and I went... It's a banger, and we haven't done it yet. But no, I don't remember anything on it. So yeah, yeah, as usual, I'm here to learn. Tell me what you know. Just the alien crash site. There's a show about it. There's a show about it? So it's just, I don't know, unidentified aircraft. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but if like you find it and you're identified it, isn't it just an identified aircraft? An it's, IFO. It's no longer unidentified. That's what I call right? planes. IFOs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's like one of those things where like, I don't know, like it's, it's popular in entertainment and whatnot, right? Absolutely. Like there's a whole show about it. But I don't know the intricate details on it. Right. You know what I mean? The same thing, like, when I think back to, like, Titanic, when it was one of the big conspiracies was, like, the Titanic wasn't, like, the original ship. Like, they changed them out. Right, right. And I'm like, what? Hold on now. It's one of those conspiracies that, yeah, you kind of, like, everyone knows about. It. And that's the thing about Roswell, the incident. It's almost something that everyone has heard of by now. UFO crash, alien bodies discovered, weather balloons, hoaxes, government cover-ups, all of that good stuff. But... What I want to do today is kind of get into the nooks and crannies of the story, how we got here, why it's completely understandable that some people believe that this is a hoax, while others firmly believe that this is an authentic UFO story of a crash and everything. There's a lot to discuss, and as with any unsolved case that we discuss here on Red Web, I'm going to walk you through some of the gaps in the knowledge and try to lead you to the confusion, why there are varying theories, countless theories sometimes, to answer the mystery at hand. This one, though, I'm hopeful we're going to walk away with a bit of an answer. Oh, wait, what? Oh, yeah. Really? As Well, sometimes we give our take at the very end, once we've discussed the theories, what's going on here, and we go, confidence level, I feel like this is the answer. What are I think we got an answer to this one, and I'm very eager to share it with the task force. I'm very not, cu- not us, our own unique answer, but, you know, an answer that's out there. I'm very curious as to what that would be. That does make me think, though, just in recent current event news, whatever happened to those little like Latino aliens? Talking about Miami showed, that they showed on like. Oh, remember there was a hearing or the whatever, Las Vegas stuff. and they were like, "Here's the aliens, the body," and it was like the little guys, little gray guys. It was like in the news. I'm gonna need a little bit more. <laughs> it was like recently that the whole UFO thing, and then I remember like, the the hearings, like the congressional hearings. Yeah, that yeah, was a few months ago. Congressional hearings. There was also like somewhere soon after that. There was a Latino family that was filming outside that they were like little oh, yeah, aliens in the dark whole, on rooftops over yeah, there. there. That. I thought oh, there was a that. hearing where they showed the body, like the body of an alien. Listen, th- things are advancing quickly and uh, there's a lot to talk about. I almost feel like, and I'm going to pitch this to task force as you two will hear this maybe for the second time. I feel like we need just a baby, a baby red web 
on a weekly basis that just goes through what's happening right now, because there's been so many cases happening almost every week that I feel like I want to talk about in like a five, 10 minute snippet episode. Yeah, there's probably stuff that we can react to too as well. Yes. Like that video you're talking about with the Latino family and they get the footage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that way we can always like respond to current events because that's what we do with, with Red Web is we break down the mysteries. We go out and find them, collate all the information, dis- dissect it and discuss it. So that way task force, we could just feed it right to your brains. But I feel like there's so much going on now, especially with interdimensional beings and UAPs and government hearings. There was another one very recently where there was a government hearing behind closed doors where they're talking about interdimensional beings. You have the Miami Mall situation, which was also interdimensional beings. We're shifting from aliens from the sky to aliens in the fourth D. Oh yeah, there's a lot going on. I remember hearing about that. That was wild. Yeah, I was staying up late, scrolling through all these TikToks, showing clips. The world just is like, uh, I don't believe it. They're preparing us. Because there's not enough information. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. We're all just like, ah, inconclusive, so I can't really like put any weight on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild times. Task Force, if that'd be something you're interested in, we'd do it, you know, a baby version of this podcast later in the week, quick updates. Mm -hmm. If we don't have updates, we don't do one. It's all just bonus stuff for your ears. Yeah. For your drive home. Yeah. If you're, if you're thinking, I want some of that, just leave a comment in the chat saying goop. Just so, so, you know, so we can feed, <laughs> so wherever we can, you can comment. So we can feed you that goop. There's the reviews. You can always say, give me that goop. You say, give me that goop. Mm-hmm. And then you can put parenthetically. Five star goop. Five star goop. <laughs> and then you can put in parentheses for all the non-task force kind of reading the reviews going, yeah, what is yeah. this podcast about? They go, give me the goop. And you go, let me tell you about the goop. You gotta be, <laughs> these knowledge goop, You got to right? be in the know. You got to be in the know. And to get the know, you got to get the goo. So with that said, let's talk about Roswell. Mm-hmm. Shake off anything you thought you knew about this case, because I'm going to put it back in your head. And as we begin to dive into this story, it's a fascinating one. I do want to give a huge shout out to all the task force who support us via first memberships. If you're not sure what that is, it's basically our Patreon. It is the number one way, the best way to support this show. For $5.99 a month, all the money goes straight to the people that you listen to here at Rooster Teeth. If you go to redwebpod.com slash first, you'll be able to sign up. It'll let them know that we sent you to first, and you can also see the various benefits that you get. But in short, you get this podcast ad-free. That's right. Your support takes out those ads, so you get all the material seamlessly, as well as some bonus shows that we've had in the past. We had some bonus exclusive content of case files. We have another show that we're working on. We don't want to spill the beans just yet, but we have another show that we think you're really going to love that's going to be bonus exclusively for first members while we kind of workshop it. So anyway, like I said, redwebpod.com slash first. And with that, let's dive in. Sometime, now this is not a specific date. I thought that this would have had a specific date, but it doesn't. It's sometime in the mid-June or early July area of 1947. A rancher named W.W. Brazel, a.k.a. Mac, and his son Vernon were searching for where rain fell on their ranch the night before. Some sources say that Vernon was not there, just for transparency, but the ranch is located outside of Corona, New Mexico, which is about 80 miles or 130 kilometers northwest of Roswell, New Mexico. They discovered some sort of wreckage in his sheep pasture and a later article in the Roswell Daily Record described the crash as, quote, a large area of bright wreckage made up of rubber strips, tinfoil, and rather tough paper and sticks. We'll talk more about those sticks in a minute. Wait, I'm sorry, what? This sounds like someone's like third grade (laughs) craft project. (laughs) Yes, hold on to that feeling. Sticks, (laughs) yeah, okay. Yeah, hold on to that feeling. 
because I've always felt that. I've always <laughs> felt that. And I have some images for you that I'm going to talk about in a second, but, and you're going to see it and it's not going to, it's not going to sway you right. from that it's feeling. It's going to be like a photo saran wrap or something. <laughs> right. And Task Force, as always, the photos will be on our social media for the sake of copyright. We have since moved those away from our videos. We're working on that. Thank you guys for asking about that. We do want to provide that service in the video version of this podcast, but for now, it's on our social at RedWebPod. Now, the debris was spread along a narrow strip of land measuring roughly three quarters of a mile by 200 to 300 feet. If you want it all in feet, it's about 4,000 feet by 250 feet. Basically a long That's very strip. long, yeah. yeah. So Brazel found metal beams and pieces of metal that were incredibly lightweight and measuring just a couple of feet long. The night before, there was an electrical storm, which is common in the area at this time of year. Lots of booming storms come through this area. We're here in Texas, not too far away. But some sources claim that the night before Brazel discovered the debris, he heard a strange sound like thunder, but unlike anything he had heard before. So now he's kind of thinking back on strange sounds. Maybe this is related. Brazel then brought some of these pieces of the wreckage to show to his neighbors, the Proctors, who then told TV show Unsolved Mysteries that the aforementioned sticks were kind of a wood-like material, but they wouldn't burn and they wouldn't whittle down. They looked like wood, they felt like wood, they were very light, but they wouldn't kind of act like wood. On July 6th or 7th, after he had gathered all of the wreckage he could find on his ranch, Brazel then drove to Roswell and delivered the debris to local sheriff George Wilcox. Sheriff Wilcox was equally puzzled and called Colonel Butch Blanchard, commander of the Roswell Army Airfield's 509th Composite Group, or just the RAAF from here on out. This base was notably the sole location for testing atomic bombs at the time. Oh. Isn't that wild? Wait, when was... So 80 miles away is Roswell, yeah. and, and around Roswell you have the uh, RAAF, and that is the only 1947-ish... When was World War II and Oppenheimer's test site located? World War II ended, I believe, 45. 45. Yeah. yeah. 45. Oppenheimer's... Yeah, Christian, you mind looking that up? I don't remember specifically. Yeah. But yeah, the only, at least at the time, location for testing these bombs. Blanchard then informed his supervisor, so we got a chain of comms here, from guy finding it, going to the sheriff, going to the colonel, going to the general now. This was his supervisor, General Roger W. Ramey, and this guy was over in Fort Worth, Texas, okay. not too far away up near Dallas. So Ramey then sent Major Jesse Marcel, an intelligence officer, to Brazel's pasture to oversee the investigation and collect the remaining, air quotes, wreckage along with Brazel. Well, so this is very serious stuff. This went straight to the we're, top. We're using um, government resources at this point. Mm -hmm. So just to jump in, the Trinity nuclear test happened on July 16th, 1945, and it was about 35 miles southeast of Socorro, New Mexico. So okay. similar area. Yeah. New Mexico is not small. No, but still in New Mexico. Yeah. Which is why, because I was thinking, I was like, oh, that's probably why there was still, you know, they decided to continue testing the atomic bomb in yeah. that like state. Lots of just empty desert. Yeah. You know, where there aren't people to injure right. or see. So now we're talking about Major Jesse Marcel, the intelligence officer, and he reported in a later interview that he couldn't bend or burn the metal. I, why is everyone trying to burn everything they found? I don't know. No, test it out. Right, but what if it did We're burn? savages, so it's like, let's bang, <laughs> like, let's bang heavy things against it, and let's try so. and set it on fire. A bunch of little pyromaniac. Yeah. 
So he's looking at this metal. He can't burn it. He can't bend it, notably. And he also said it was so lightweight that he described it as weighing nothing, in his words, and that it was as thin as tinfoil, which is very... That would be very, very valuable material. Very valuable. Now, in this same interview, he said he did not believe that the wreckage was from any aircraft, at least that he was aware of. Other witnesses deemed this material as, quote, memory metal because you could bend it or wad it up into a ball and it would always return to its original shape. So while it sounds that this is kind of a contradiction, you have unbending and then you have wadding up, looking at our resources, trying to decipher between the various takes out there, it does seem that both Marcel and these other witnesses are describing two separate parts of the debris. So one is describing these kind of tiny, thin, lightweight I-beams, and the other witnesses are describing this kind of foil-like material, this reflective stuff. Now, according to Marcel's son, who was 11 at the time, his father brought home some of the wreckage, and they saw some strange hieroglyphic-like symbols embossed on one of the beams. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. So now we're having possible, like, language. Potentially. And I can't wait. Oh, man. Also, I'm seeing where we're going. Oh, man. You don't. Right. You don't know. Right. Maybe the Kids put stuff in their mouths, even when they're 11. Yeah. When they're sucking on alien ships. Yeah. I don't know. That's how you get powers, though. Um, So let's recap. Never mind. Give me some of that. (laughs) (laughs) He's trying to wake up his ex gene for years. All right. So let's recap quickly because long chain of command, a lot of things being found. Simply enough, we have strange wood-like sticks that can't be whittled or burned. We have I-beams with hieroglyphics, and we have foil-like memory metal that can crumple and come back to shape, and then some other thin, unbendable metal. Now, while visiting the site, Marcel commented to the local newspaper, the Roswell Daily Record, on what they had found. On July 8th, Walter Hott, the Roswell Army Airfield, RAAF, public information officer, issued a press release stating that the military had discovered a, quote, flying disc. The military public information officer is going, hey everybody, flying disc. And then this press release was, by the way, ordered by Colonel Butch Blanchard. So now it feels very substantial. It seems very like this is just solidified and cemented as this happened. There is proof of these things, whether or not it's like it turns out to be some kind of material that we have nowadays. You know what I mean? It was just like some advanced testing with some advanced materials or whatever. Very surprised by the fact that they went public with it so fast. Yeah. Doesn't seem like that'd be something that would happen nowadays. Yeah. But so far, just letting my mind run with it, like, it's getting hard not to believe how we how is, how we not know as aliens by now. You know what I mean? Because right. it seems like it's very public. Like, it's all out there. We found this thing. Can't explain this stuff. Like, here you go, like, general population, you now know. And it's like, okay, well then, boom, aliens. Boom, mysterious aliens. <laughs> as, right. as where we are in the story right, right now, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I'm sure it'll get broken down and, and torn to pieces. Oh, oh so but, quickly, yeah. so quickly. So later that day, again, July 8th, the story ran in an afternoon paper with the headline, quote, RAAF captures flying saucer on ranch in Roswell. It even said this, quote, the intelligence office of the 509th Bombardment Group at Roswell Army Airfield announced at noon today that the field had come into the possession of a flying saucer. So it does feel clear cut. However, that same day, an Air Force official clarified the statement made in the paper claiming now that the debris was actually from a crashed weather balloon. Ramey ordered the wreckage debris to be sent to him in Fort Worth. The only photos of Marcel and the Roswell wreckage come from Ramey's inspection. 
I've got photos A and B for you. Okay. You want to check those out. But like within the day, the Air Force is going, no, 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 no. It is a balloon. Oh, this looks like foil insulin. Like I'm going to cover my walls with this stuff. It's going to keep my house nice and warm. Mm-hmm. Like space blanket stuff. Oh, yeah. It's also like space blanket stuff, too. Wow, this is really cool. It's just seeing the photos. Yeah. So clear and vivid. Black and white. And yeah, I mean, it just looks like foil. That I don't know, man. Looking at it doesn't look, it just looks like straight up foil. It doesn't look like it'd be some kind of material that you'd curl up into a ball and then it'd straighten itself back up. It looked like, it looked like I mess up this foil. You know what I'm saying? Like if right. I stomped all over it, it's, it's shredded into pieces, not right. some kind of magic, like reshape itself. That's or, the foil that wraps a burger. It comes out right, you know, yeah. all, all kind of bent and like. Like you just hijack like the materials from a McDonald's truck or something. Now, what shape is it laid out in? He's got it kind Kinda of like in a, a triangle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like a triangle. It's, it seems like it has like a white strip that kind of outlines it and gives yeah. it some Almost sort like a frame. of like frame. Yeah. yeah. I think those are the kind of metal beams that we're talking about. A couple feet long each. I mean, those just look like, like strips of, I don't know, some type of cloth or, yeah, I don't, man, okay, well. I'm not seeing saucer in this. Yeah, I'm not seeing saucer. I'm not seeing anything wild. It's literally just like a sheet of foil. Yeah. That's like the size of, I don't know, half a a person in terms of height and width, double the person's width. A little bit. It it doesn't look like anything that I'd be like, I can't believe it. I'd be like, someone threw trash in my my farm. Yeah, I don't know if I'd go, whoa. But I guess like if you've never seen this kind of stuff in in your property before and it's all reflective and it's like, it feels like advanced metal. You know, your mind can run wild, but jumping to the chase, though, again, we're within 24 hours of the public information officer coming out saying it's a flying saucer with that going into the press, etc. Ramey also then ordered the article to be corrected, saying that the debris was not a flying saucer, but instead a weather balloon. And so the next day, July 9th, the story was published in the Roswell Morning Dispatch, quote, Army debunks Roswell flying disc as world simmers with excitement. This article, though, still included an interview with Brazel, where he explains that he did not fully believe that what he found on the ranch was a weather balloon. So, referencing the Roswell Daily Record article that we mentioned earlier, they stated that Brazel was, quote, harassed and, quote, sorry he told about the wreckage. Again, the article described the crash as, quote, large area of bright wreckage made up of rubber strips, tinfoil, and a rather tough paper and sticks. They also added that there was no metal, wires, or anything that could constitute an engine. Brazel told reporters, quote, I am sure that what I found was not any weather observation balloon, but if I find anything else besides a bomb, they're going to have a hard time getting me to say anything about it, end quote. But with the response from the military, the fervor around the Roswell flying saucer died down. People seemed to believe that, okay, they corrected themselves. They took it in, they settled on it, and they said, all right, nope, this is instead a weather balloon. And people went, great. Although conspiracy theorists are sitting there going like they got to him, they shut him up. Mm. You know what I mean? They admitted it and then they took it back. Right. And yeah. they went, "What are you doing? Can't tell people this stuff. Correct your mistake." Yeah. So now it's kind of died down, and I want to walk you through as we kind of do in real time of the mystery. We're in the late '40s, and it kind of dies down. Like I said, the fervor goes away, and for many years, most of the general public just accepted the explanation that came from the government. That said, during its era of obscurity, this particular Roswell incident, the lore and legends of UFO sightings began to grow. So we're going to put Roswell on the back burner for just a second 
because now we're entering the era of Project Blue Book, when the government was tracking UFO sightings from 1952 all the way up to 1969. We talked about this particular program in a few different episodes now. But spoiler alert, most of these sightings could, in retrospect, be explained by secret aircraft tests. Tests of aircraft that had not yet been declassified. Obviously, they wouldn't want their bleeding-edge tech to be public knowledge to the world, given the political climate. Now, flashing forward 31 years, 1978, physicist-turned-UFOologist Stanton Friedman rediscovered the Roswell incident when he was tipped off that Jesse Marcel had interesting information regarding the story. Marcel told Friedman in an interview that the weather balloon explanation was a cover story and all photos and evidence were staged to hide the fact that it was actually an extraterrestrial ship that had been found. Friedman further researched Roswell and interviewed other witnesses, becoming the first civilian to investigate Roswell. He then began to believe that Roswell was some sort of cosmic Watergate. And for those non-U.S. history buffs, Watergate was a major cover-up by then-President Richard Nixon, where his administration broke into the Democratic National Convention headquarters in the Watergate building. It was a whole cover-up in front of your faces, right? Like, we kind of figured it out in the end. But he was comparing it to Watergate of its own kind. Dude, can you imagine becoming president and just the things you'd be the knowledge and secrets you'd be privy to. That's why they go gray so fast. I'm, yeah, Brain man. Brain can't fit it all. I'm like, wait, that exists? That exists? We did what? We covered up what? Like, mm-hmm. what happened? Bro, I feel like I, look, not that I'd ever become president. It's too big of a job. I feel like I would just come back and you guys are like, oh, damn, bro. I'd just be like, <laughs> I can't tell you, but damn. <laughs> now, how big are we talking about? From a one to ten, damn. Hmm? Like, Damn. <laughs> Damn. It would just be what like. What would be the first so... thing you would go for? Aliens? JFK? I think, I think aliens you... would be the first thing I'd go for. Yeah. And then from there, I'd want to see like like the the highest end tech that we have. Ooh. You know what I mean? And then I want to meet. It's a touchless iPhone. That's it. That's as far <laughs> as they got. I'm like, cool. Yeah. I respect it <laughs> they more. They said, you're touching screens? We just think. You know? Yeah. And I'd be like, that's pretty rad. And then I'm sure you'll check that out over 20 years. Right. right. Um, yeah, I think, this, yeah, you know, do we have any solid proof of aliens? We have them kept in a capsule somewhere, in a lab somewhere. I'd want to see that. And then from there, I'd definitely want to see, like, what kind of tech that we're rocking. Um, what what advanced military tech, what advanced, like, civilian tech that's not released yet, or whatnot. Yeah, I'd um, want to know the Coca-Cola secret formula. Yeah. Yeah. Release that to Pepsi. Give them a leg up. Yeah. (laughs) And then meet the people behind the button. Right. I'm assuming there's just some nuclear facility with a button. Yeah. That's what what movies have taught me. And I just want to know the person that's in charge of the button. You know what I mean? It's going to be two people with a key. Yeah. And then someone comes in and goes, thank you for both synchronizing that open. I push the button. Yeah. (laughs) I'm the one that pushed the button. Yeah. But. Yeah, stuff like stuff like that would be what I want to like look into. Yeah, there's. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of real sinister information that you're like. Yeah, there'd be so many things. Oh, we did that. We did that. We're like, history's gonna hate that. Yeah, we did that. Or like, oh, we're actually working with that behind the scenes. Like like that. Those people behind the scenes, or like we're funding that behind the scenes, and be all all the ulterior motives that you would discover. Yeah, Yeah, that would put a a sully in that touchless iPhone a little bit. 
But coming back to Marcel, he's now reignited some interest. For whatever reason, it's like just over 30 years now, he pops back onto the scene talking to people, going like, I I think it's a cover-up. And I wonder if almost Watergate gave him the idea that like governments could cover things up. Do you mind looking up the date specifically when that was like kind of a public thing, the Watergate scandal, Christian? But either way, he's now going public regarding uh, the Roswell incident. He also interviews with National Enquirer. And these articles essentially reignited the public interest in Roswell. So now it's been decades, right? We have people now that are grown adults since the time of the initial incident, reading these articles and getting interested, and they didn't live it in real time. And in 1980, there was a book, The Roswell Incident, by Charles Berlitz and William Moore, and they published secondhand accounts of stories surrounding the supposed UFO crash in Roswell. So now, again, 33 years later, we're getting new stories from around that area. It's wild that, like, I don't know, just all coming to light mm-hmm. years later. You got to start questioning, like, what's the motive now? Yeah, like, is it the fact that, like, you can get stuff published, you can get some fame out of it? Yeah. Because 30 years of silence just, I don't know, all of a sudden, like, the floodgates open and everyone's got something to say about it. Yeah. It's hard not to be skeptical. Well, especially when it's secondhand stories. This would have been good to know during the initial investigation. True. What did people see? What's going on? Yeah, so looking at it, it took place over a period of several months, if not over a year, but the initial break-in that kind of started the whole thing happened in 72, and then it looked like the investigation kind of spiraled from there starting around January, February, March of 73. And then resignation 74, so we are, we're close. Maybe yeah. maybe we got a guy who's inspired a couple years later going, yeah. maybe the government is covering up some yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's okay. close enough. Yeah. So moving on, one of the accounts that remains particularly influential in this whole case was a discovery made by Grady Barney Barnett. This discovery was about 150 miles west of Brazel's ranch. He was there surveying the plains of San Agustin because he worked with the U.S. Soil Conservation Service. He claims that he and some archaeological students discovered a peculiar crash site of some kind, some sort of round aircraft, he describes it as. But this time, he witnessed what he described as four strange bodies on the ground that were small and humanoid. He and his students were then escorted away by the army and were told to never discuss what they saw there on that site. This reportedly occurred in the summer of 1947, so some believe that Barnett's sighting is related to the Roswell incident, leading to the strengthening belief that there must have also been bodies at the original crash site on Brazel's ranch. Again, you can see how stories coming out decades later are now backwards influencing the initial stories. Were things not reported? Were things reported later and then added? You can see how the confusion can spiral from here. Yeah, I can also see, like, the, like, what was it that that gave a statement? Was it the general? Oh, God. There was a huge chain. Uh, Which statement are we? We're talking about Marcel? The statement that it was a weather balloon or something, that that it was a UFO, then they changed it later. Yeah. It was Walter Hotz was the public information officer who made the statement. And then it was General Ramey who Uh, said, let's pull that back and fix the article. Yeah. So, um... So I could see them doing the whole like, well, this is this is becoming a thing. People are knowing about this. We got to give the public something. Hmm. And so, yeah, you just cover up some of the information, right? Because ultimately, it's you know they control the narrative. Yeah, you know, right? They're the and ones. I didn't even all the think know about staged photos. Yeah, because I mean, look how dismissive I was with these looking at these photos. Yeah, and you got swept been up in the cover up, dude. That, you're right. They go, ah, it's nothing. Look at that, and they're like, perfect. That's exactly what we wanted them we to think. Em. Yeah. 
Now, this is where I pull my hair out just a little bit because, and you know this pattern. Oh no, is it like mishandling comes, of stuff or? Uh, no, but, but kind of. So unfortunately, despite these claims now, Barnett died before anyone else could interview him, before he could expand on his claims and his story. And to complicate these matters more, no one's been able to identify the students that he discovered the crash site with, which then you could either say, does that invalidate his story? Was he actually yeah. out there with students? Was this an undocumented trip? Or are these students actually real and just undocumented so we can't figure out who they are and they're not coming forward because they don't want to, you know, they were told not to. Yeah. I mean, so, did he, what did he die of? Like natural causes? Like you could also, you know, argue that stuff too. It's a good question. Or it's like, okay, the students are like, uh, no, he passed away after he said some stuff. I'm going to like shut the hell up. Right. It's, it's possible. Christian, I don't know if you want to maybe look up perhaps what Grady Barnett passed away from. Not sure if that's going to be in the resources, but we'll see what we can find. And while he looks that up, but basically closing this chapter, it, it basically... His claims will forever live in the realm between fact and fiction. Yeah. We'll never be able to substantially prove what he said, nor can we disprove what he said. It all comes down now, as you might see the rest of this story, coming down to the opinions of the observer, whoever's listening to this, whatever they kind of come in with their biases to, to want to hear. And that's what really, that's a cornerstone element to this whole case. Okay. Regardless, Barnett's story and others like his were covered in the 1980 episode of Unsolved Mysteries, further ingraining the Roswell incident into the public knowledge. Some of these stories later proved to be hoaxes for what it's worth, but by that point, the episode had been seen by millions of people. And it's kind of like one of those things that you hear, um, a lie can make its way around the world faster than the truth can put its shoes on. Uh, it's you true. know, a good lie is catchier. You want to talk about it. Yeah, it is. And not a lot of people that, whether they accidentally or maliciously spread the lie, catch wave of the truth when the truth eventually comes out. So the fact that these, some of these, I should say, were proven hoaxes won't change the fact that people were impressed upon when they first saw the episode and talked about it and, and it spread through the zeitgeist, yeah. right? And all, Unsolved Mystery was huge. Huge, dude. Huge I got show. a cassette tape of that back oh. in the office. Oh, yeah, that's right. Still unwrapped. That's, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> Pull out your Walkman. We're going to crank <laughs> one episode off this tape. Rewind it with a pencil. I know you're doing a cursory glance, Christian, but what are you thinking? You find anything? I'm not finding anything that lets me confidently say it was this specific Grady Barnett, so I don't want to speak out of turn. So as of right now, not finding anything. Okay. I'll let you cook on that uh, as we move on. So one of the stories covered in the 1980 episode, Unsolved Mysteries, was about a supposed government document discussing a secretive group called the Majestic 12. I want to do a whole episode on the Majestic 12. I, I hadn't I, even... I, you know, names and groups? That sounds dope. Okay, yeah. hold on. Majestic I hadn't even 12. heard about this. So, very long story short, again, we could do a whole deep dive just on this group alone, but this is a group said to be filled with government officials, military leaders, and scientists, and that this was supposedly put together by an executive order in 1947. Oh. 1947, the same year as the Roswell yeah. incident. Yeah. I think that was... Uh, Harry Truman was president at that time? Yes. Anyway, in 1987, UFOologist Jamie Chanderay was anonymously sent supposedly classified documents on a 35 millimeter film. This is so interesting. So Chanderay, Friedman, and UFO researcher William Moore released the documents to the public on May 29th, 1987. They contain a memo with a supposed executive order from President Harry Truman to investigate the Roswell crash, again, 1947. The documents then describe another version of the Roswell incident, 
where extraterrestrial bodies were ejected from the craft and then recovered a week later. The document describes the UFO as a, quote, short-range reconnaissance craft. It also includes information about how to cover up the UFO elements of the story, reminiscent of the movie Men in Black. In the scanned documents provided by the FBI, most of the pages are covered with the handwritten word bogus, though some believe that's exactly what they would want you to say because if this is a government cover-up, you would want it to look false, etc., etc. Some believe that the Majestic 12 documents were a hoax themselves by the UFO community to make the Roswell UFO story seem more legitimate, and others believe that it is a misinformation campaign by the U.S. government to make UFOlogists look unreliable. So now you have the same piece of potential evidence being used by both opinions saying, no, you're using that maliciously. And they're going, but you're using that maliciously. That's what gets this case all twisted. It's just so hard because it's like, I feel like it'd be so easy for the government to just disprove or just throw it out as something that like... It's just like it. It's like kangaroo court. You know what I'm saying? Oh, it's definitely. Just, it's just wild. Yeah. They, like these people are marking this up. They're saying this about them. They're discrediting them. They're discrediting themselves on purpose to make it seem less legit. Like it's just it's it's wild. It's wild. And, and honestly, ain't that hard to do? No, it's not. It's so. I mean, you and I have played deception games. Yeah. It's very easy to throw chaos into the air. Oh, 100%. you know, to to clutter the minds of anyone trying to figure you out. Like yeah. if. If you're the person, if you're the guy, you're getting away with in-game murder in Among Us. Yep. You just go, it was me, or was it? And then they go, oh, we don't know. And yeah, and nobody knows. Then you get away with it. Like, yeah. it's just like the number of things you can do to deceive is like wild. You can even do it openly. Like, I remember playing a small round deception game. And you go, it's like hide the cheese. Let me play that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go round by round and pretty much like if someone discovers that you're like, you know, everyone's got their eyes closed and round by round, there's a cheese in the middle. And then if you're bad, you have your number, you're round, you pull the cheese. And if someone wakes up at the same time as you, you have the opportunity to turn them into your team and help yeah. cover you up. I play that with a group of friends at my house. There was like six of us. I uh, I woke up with uh, another person that, 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 uh, that round did not make them my accomplice so we got to the end and they're like it's alfredo i saw him do it he did it right in front of me and i'm like that is wild why wouldn't i make you a part of my team then that makes no sense oh and then my God. they got ramped up they're like he's he's doing this to make me look wild and crazy you're but, sounding wild but, but like like yeah. i saw him do it right in front of me and then they got voted out you know what I mean? And Humans so it's like, are easily it's frazzled. Just, right, exactly. So it's like, you could just, I mean, it's so easy to, for, for the government to just manipulate. They have the resources, right. they have the people, they have the like the big brains and people behind them with even bigger brains. Right. And so it's like, how do you not like just, how can you believe any of this? It's all, right. it's all wild. It's all over the place, right? But you, gotta, just, you feel like you got to believe something. Yeah. And we're just like civilians just getting funneled a little bit of information and right. they're just playing the game. Yeah. This is a, it's, what, it's like the Joker and he goes, all it needs is a little push. I mean, really? It's I mean, I don't know. Regardless though, we, we don't know for sure if this 35 millimeter film of information was a hoax. If it was a hoax, we don't know who made it. Regardless, the Majestic 12 influenced the spread of UFOs and continued to cement Roswell as the cornerstone in UFO and UAP folklore moving forward. It, it is, as you know now, a yeah. staple in this conversation. Yeah. So as we head into the theories, let's do a high-level recap. 
Okay. We have mysterious objects found in a pasture that then led to the story about a UFO crash from a public information officer in the RAAF. Later, other government officials corrected the story, marking it as a weather balloon. This incident then lay dormant while Project Blue Book investigated other sightings until over 30 years later when multiple news stories came to light. The cloud of information surrounding these stories and reports created the perfect foundation for confusion. Some believe that this is exactly the point, to obfuscate the truth and cover up the discovery of aliens, while others believe that this is a symptom of missing evidence and unsubstantiated stories that were either looking at a hoax or a weather balloon whose story has taken on a life of its own. So we're going to kind of dissect both sides of that story, and one side has many nuanced paths to go down. So basically, there is the fact that this was a UFO and it was covered up, and then you have the other side that this wasn't a UFO what does that mean? Yeah. Let's break it all down. Okay. This episode of Red Web is sponsored by Shopify. Are you selling a little bit of... <laughs> you don't need to do the sound. It's not necessary. We I can, tell you every we time. Or a lot of... <laughs> we can do sound. We can insert it in. Boys, let me tell you right now that you can stop selling that... <laughs> what, because what, what that is. Shopify's you got your back. Me. They will help you sell your cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you with every stage of your business. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. And you can sell more with less efforts thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States. Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of various business sizes across 175 countries. In fact, Red Web's own merch store is powered by Shopify. And I love just how customizable the storefront can be. You can like, it helps you do promo codes and feature things and have different imagery all super easily. So you don't need to worry about how to code a website or code a store. Yeah. You just have your items, plop them in. That, the baby hands good. plushie you're cuddling at night. Mm. That uh, sippy cup of knowledge that you're drinking out of right now. Mm -hmm, you're drinking mm -hmm. your hot milk. Right, yeah. <laughs> And I thought my sound effects were weird. <laughs> yeah, you got your hot milk and that sippy cup of knowledge. Yep. You know, that's, hey, guy from Shopify. All from Shopify. Now, if you're interested and you are a business owner, or if you just want to sell some stuff e-commerce style, sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash redweb, all lowercase, okay? Go to shopify.com slash redweb now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash RedWeb. Kraboosh! <laughs> Gotta get this man off the mic. So the UFO cover-up. Many believe that the Roswell UFO incident was covered up by the military and the U.S. government. You can imagine why. Of course. You want to prevent panic. You want to prevent the mania of, of everyone going, Oh my God, we're just specks of dust on a floating rock and there's greater intelligence out there. But... The fact that their story changed from an unknown craft to a weather balloon all within a day, specifically a flying disc, made a lot of people subscribe to this idea that, oops, they slipped the tongue, the truth came out, yeah. and then someone said, no, 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 don't tell them that. No, no, it's all good. It's all good. Come right. I, I, yeah, I mean, I get it, right? Like, a lot of people are not ready for that. Um, you can't just be like, boom, aliens, 
You know, like if the president of the United States just had a, a, a press conference, they're on that podium, walk up, and then like, we've known about aliens for years. Here's one of them. And the world would just lose their mind, bro. Please give a warm round of applause right, for I'm serious. <laughs> the bleep bloop. And then here's bleep bloop. And I, then everyone I would lose their bloop. damn mind. <laughs> yeah. And even then, people would be like, this is fake or whatever it is. But I think majority of the people are like, uh, okay. And then it could be chaos. The number one thing, and I sit here and I go, you know what? I'm going to keep it calm. I'm going to hold it down. But yeah. again, like everybody else, I can see a path where I spiral, right? Or I it's think just if like, you walked out as president, you said aliens are real. I think everyone else would spiral. Yeah. You would have a 50-50 split. Some yeah. people being yeah, like, exactly. I believe them. Some people going, there's no way. And then you're yeah. like, all right. But also, I mean, you talk about this specific thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And talk about Roswell and how they're classifying it as like potentially like a reconnaissance like craft. I feel like me knowing about aliens, I'm not frazzled. Me hearing the word reconnaissance, I'm like, why are they spying on us? What do they need to know? What are we doing to counteract the possible attack if they're hostile? Tinfoil like, hat. Yeah. Then that's my spiral. That's my path where I go, oh, no, I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I don't think the world's ready. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of reasons to cover up aliens. I mean, they're all pretty self-evident. But one of the other things that Friedman actually pointed out was the recency of World War II would lead to further anxieties. So if suddenly aliens are coming down, some, some people might not believe in aliens, but they might start going like, it doesn't matter if it's aliens, someone's flying in our skies. Yeah. I remembered this, this second big war that shouldn't have happened, but it, you know, we had the great war, the war to end all wars, and then we had another <laughs> right, war. Right, another war. Yeah, we don't need more. So either way, to this day, witnesses surrounding the incident are confident that what they saw was not a weather balloon, but a UFO. According to The Guardian, Linda Marcel, Jesse Marcel's wife, said in an interview about her husband and Roswell, she said this, quote, They were told to keep it quiet, and they did for years and years and years. Their son, who was 11 at the time, who had seen the stuff, actually said the very same thing to Unsolved Mysteries, that they were told to be quiet about it. In an affidavit, which is like a legally binding, like an oath-given written statement, from 1991, a flight engineer named Robert R. Porter reported this, long quote, so buckle in, Quote, I was a member of the crew which flew parts of what we were told was a flying saucer to Fort Worth. The people on board included Major Jesse Marcel. Captain William E. Anderson said it was from a flying saucer. After we arrived, the material was transferred to a B-25. I was told that they were going to Wright Field in Dayton, Ohio. I was involved in loading the B-29 with the material, which was wrapped in packages with wrapping paper. One of the pieces was triangle-shaped and about two and a half feet across the bottom. The rest were in small packages about the size of a shoebox. The brown paper was held with tape. The material was extremely lightweight. When I picked it up, it was just like picking up an empty package. We loaded the triangle-shaped package and three shoebox-sized packages into the plane. All of the packages could have fit into the trunk of a car. When we came back from lunch, they had told us they had transferred the material to a B-25. They told us the material was a weather balloon, but I'm certain it wasn't a weather balloon. So kind of from his description, it does seem that he was actually interfacing with what we see in the photographs, given the uh, same description that other people gave. But somebody else came along, he was loading in a B-29, and somebody else had secretly just reloaded it into a different plane, B-25, going somewhere else. So there's some confusion in play, but again, it does come down to one man's opinion. Yeah. I mean, that if that is true, that's a lot of work for a weather balloon, even if it was one that was like, I don't know, an advance for yeah. its time. Yeah, and hold on to that thought. But 
Moving on with the idea that this was a UFO cover-up, you know, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. A lot of people that are believers, believe in the UFO, that the crash happened, do think that a lot of the recent stories were hoaxes or lies or fibs or what have you for whatever their motive might have been. Maybe selling books, maybe getting attention. But well, now you have a big show like Unsolved Mysteries. Sure. Like, well, let me get on that. Yeah. You want to get a little attention. But a lot of them maintain that the initial report, the initial discovery, the crash on Brazel's ranch, that is the legitimate part. And that's what a lot of people lean on. Brazel was reportedly unaware of the flying saucer sightings from the time period. And we're going to go into those a little bit more uh, later. But suffice to say, the term flying saucer, I believe, was coined but weeks prior, if that, up in Washington. A very famous case, but we'll talk a little bit more in a second. But suffice to say that we are at the beginning of UFO mania. Now, neighbors to Brazel said that after the military retracted their statement about the crash being a flying saucer, they saw Brazel being escorted by military personnel. Brazel did not acknowledge them at the time. Later, he did not discuss the Roswell incident much at all and said that he would not report if he had any future discoveries. Perhaps he was pressured to no longer speaking about the crash. Perhaps he was somehow debriefed as to what the true nature of this thing was. In fact, remember the quote earlier, he was like, you're gonna have a hard time getting me to say nothing about this unless it's a bomb, right? right Some sort yeah. of military tech, yeah. then you're gonna have a hard time shutting me up. And per his neighbors here, he seems to be shutting up. Huh, I mean, does that say UFO or does that say something else? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, right? I mean, because I, look, at the end of the day, if the government wants you to shut up, they're most likely going to shut up. Yeah. Right? There's very few people that are going to be like, you know what? I will stand up to the government. I'm going to live my life. Look, I've seen Eagle Eye, okay? They track you down. They got the tools. Oh, yeah. They'll find you. And even nowadays, that's probably super hard to like go off the grid. I'm oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. You got a phone on you. Done. Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, I don't want to gloss over too much. There's a lot of indirect and direct witnesses. Some things claiming this, some things claiming yeah, similar things, etc. But before we move on, I do want to close out with witnesses that are closer to this event that do have some more substantial things to say. So, in 1980, coming back to Marcel, he gave a TV interview saying this, quote, They wanted some comments from me, but I wasn't at liberty to do that. So all I could do is keep my mouth shut. And General Ramey is the one who discussed, told the newspapers, I mean the newsmen, what it was, and to forget about it. It is nothing more than a weather observation balloon. Of course, we both knew differently. End quote. Then you also have Hot, H-O-U-T, might be Hot, but the person who reported the flying saucer in the first place. They created an affidavit to be released after their death. And like it would be released then by UFO researcher Don Schmidt. So he then wrote kind of an oath-binding legal document that said, when I die, please release this to the public. Oh. And in it, he claimed that the first story was true, that there were actually two crashes. He saw the crash sites, and there were indeed bodies. Hot said that the bodies were the size of children, and he reportedly kept this all secret as a favor to his friend, Colonel Blanchard. Hot's children confirmed the affidavit is legitimate and that it is publicly available to read. So... I mean, you can lie in an affidavit, especially yeah, if you're you in the great beyond. But there's something to be said about that. Hmm. I'll let you simmer with that. I mean, look, I could see that, right? Again, you can lie, but also the fact that I was like, look, I'm no longer going to be here. Mm -hmm. I'm going to release everything. Let me drop the truth. Yeah. Like, why the hell not? Man? Regardless of the safety of my children, I'll have somebody else drop this truth. That's true. Sorry, Don. That's yeah. your problem now. I mean... Yeah. 
But then you again, know. it's like, is the government really going to go after the children and the family at that point? If it's true and it's real, maybe. Maybe, but... Or does that make it obvious? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Now, kind of segueing into the next angle here, it's possible that there was still a cover-up in play, hence all the confusion. Maybe just not a cover-up about aliens. There's like, what, government stuff? Yeah. So, on the flip side to the UFO cover-up theory, we have three nuanced angles. I'm going to break down all three of them. Two of them are a bit shorter. So, first up, cutting through all the noise and misinformation, was this just a weather balloon? It's possible that the Air Force could not identify the craft or material at first and then change their statement once they had new information and more time to kind of look at the material and make observations. And perhaps the simple truth got clouded in the very recent UFO mania and that nothing else was actually going on here. So for what it's worth, I was burying the lead, but this was the very same year and very same month, June 1947, that Kenneth Arnold's UFO sighting in Washington coined the term flying saucer, which then led to hundreds of other UFO sightings. Uh, so, I mean, we're talking a little bit of motive there. at most, or at least a week, right? Yeah. At most two weeks. And these could be people that are just like, boom, find that out, getting ahead of it all, right? Yeah. So maybe it was <clears> just a balloon. Someone would be the first to, like, right. know, something. Um, yeah. I mean, here's the thing, though. If it was some kind of advanced military weather balloon system or whatnot, by now, wouldn't the government just be like, yeah, that's this is what it was? You know what I mean? Here are the blueprints. Oh, we're getting there, baby. But at the same time, would the government do that to then make oh, us go we're look? getting there, too. It's true. We're See, getting to both of that. Balloon. They're releasing the information to us. There's the blueprints by J. Edgar Goober. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, Had us in the first half. He's got so many documents and degrees. But, like... I, uh, see, again, man, you could just throw it either way. Hold on to that thought. Ah, I'm telling you, Task Force, you know it. He's got what's the real. What's not real? He's got the gut check. And to me, a little bit of psychic ability. I think his gut check can read the future. But before we get into that, I know you're looking at the runtime. You're going, there's a lot of meat on this bone still. Yeah. We're going to get into it. Yeah, no hungry. But now we have angle two. But before we do, Christian alerted me. We have some... Some juicy information on Barnett. We're coming Whoa, back to it. That's some deep digging. He did yeah. some good digging. This was so uh, surprisingly hard to find. So there is a signed affidavit from Barnett's wife's niece. So we know for a fact that Barnett died in 1969. The issue that I'm having is finding an official cause of death. I have found okay. one source so far that says he has terminal cancer and does not elaborate beyond that. But that's also the only source I've seen that actually gives any type of potential cause of death. Okay. But we do know when he died. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. Also, wouldn't the wife's niece be his niece? True. Articles are confusing sometimes. We got to yeah. parse this stuff. Well, look, at least it wasn't... Poor Jillian's fell down through a, all these windy <laughs> words. Yeah. At least it wasn't like uh, he fell down a flight of stairs onto some bullets. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. All right. Coming back now. Angle two uh, on the flip side. It, I mean, this is a two-sided coin, but there's three sides on this one side. That's what I was saying. So flip that coin on one side of it. this two-sided coin. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so the other angle is it's possible it was simply a hoax, something to garner attention and another way to ride that UFO wave that had just emerged up in Washington. And with how modest the objects look in the photos, as you were kind of talking about, Fredo, it does seem potentially pretty easy yeah. to cobble together some items to make a story around. Later, some folks had motivations for profit with their books, televised interviews, things of that nature. We kind of discussed that along the way, but, you know, we started to find some 
motive for it to be a hoax, but that's your second angle. Now, the third angle, a top-secret cover-up. A cover-up within a cover-up. After all, not every, and no one discusses this, so let me put it in clear terms, not every level of military is privy to the same secrets. True. A lot of people go, well, he worked in the military, so he must have known. I'm like, that is not how that works. The story about a UFO may have made sense to a public information officer, while the truth was much more covert and known about by the general, hence him saying, let's order a retraction and a, and a correction here. Yeah. But let's expand on all that. So. We're looking at a time post-World War II where the Cold War is brewing. It's possible that the military did not want to create another wave of panic or reveal secret government projects during this time. Jumping forward to 1994, the Air Force revealed that the Roswell crash debris was actually part of a thing called Project Mogul, a highly classified operation between the U.S. government and Los Alamos laboratories. So that report came about after a request from New Mexico Congressman Steve Schiff or any information held by the government agency about Roswell. So he was basically like, listen, this is my state. My people need to know. Yeah, give me the info, give me the deets. It just got hot again about a decade ago. Let's, let's, let's figure this out. So in the wake of World War II, there was fear that Russia had nuclear weapons. So the U.S. used high-altitude weather balloons with microphones attached so they could pick up extremely low frequencies at long distances. And this was in hopes of detecting the sound waves of these weapons. You can imagine what the signature of a rocket would look like, the sound signature, and if you have sensitive enough equipment, you might be able to pick it up and go, that looks like an intercontinental ballistic missile launching from the west. What? Or from the north, right? Because Russia could shoot over Canada. But, I mean, that was, that was the idea. Yeah. Looking back, Russia did not have nuclear weapons until 1949, but not too far away from this time frame, and this project had to be completely hidden because they didn't want public information about this project going out. They didn't want their potential enemies to know that they were observing in some sort of way. They also didn't want other countries to be aware of atomic weapons testing, you know. But yeah, again, why not be like this, what it really was? Well, they did in 94. Oh, yeah, 94. If you believe them. Yeah, see, that's the thing. So... I have another image for you now, if you want to take a look at that while I read this part. But, a balloon with a microphone attached? Yes, literally. So, oh. given the highly reflected nature of the balloons that they used for Project Mogul, one unfamiliar with this program might have easily considered this to be some sort of advanced technology, if not a UFO. But describe what you're seeing. I mean, it looks like a kite with, a, with like, brakes in the chain. Absolutely. And then from there, it's just like between every break is this kind of paper mm -hmm. with just like triangles within triangles triangles it's like three triangles it's like two triangles stacked on the wings of one triangle as a base yeah so basically the pattern that we were seeing in the roswell photos earlier it looks very reminiscent to that it does it's got that reflective material it's hard to tell it's black and white but it is reflective mm. essentially what you're seeing are balloons that are about seven to eight hundred feet long it's a train of multiple balloons attached together the rubber was likely neoprene and the wood sticks that were found in the crash site were, were the balsa sticks that were held on this uh, on this craft. Now, balsa is a very light wood. I don't know why they're saying it didn't burn. Maybe it was treated. But balsa can certainly be whittled. But you can now see why everything that was found was extremely lightweight, because it had to be held aloft by balloons. Yep. Yeah, it matches quite well. Yeah, it does. It lines up very, very well. And on top of that... Why not just say that, like, way earlier? Yeah. And also, like, these balloons that you're looking at here, these Project Mogul balloons, were built by NYU researchers. So it's not like 
we've got people all behind wraps going, well, I can't say anything about it. People going, yeah, okay, now that we can talk about it, the, yeah, I worked on those. I helped make those balloons. We held up microphones and, and listened. Now, I mean, that doesn't seem like super high-level government stuff. Well, I mean, to a degree. given the climate, it kind of is. Like, hey, you you thinking on us? It's Not I mean, hold it's, on for it's the 1940s version of the Chinese 40? satellites coming over. Yeah, you start going. Wait, but to hold, hold on. for like 40 some years. Oh, for sure, for sure. But I guess it only came out because somebody requested, requested it. it yeah. You know? Now, interestingly, I have another photo for you here. The reported hieroglyphics. Remember that the family was going. What are these strange oh, yeah, symbols? Yeah, yeah. Well, they were likely the simple flowery designs that were used on the reinforcing tape that the NYU team used. The tape was purchased from a toy factory. We could not find any photographs of the particular tape that they used, but we do have sketches of what those symbols look like. And so if they're using toy tape to reinforce this thing, hence the symbols. Yeah, I mean, we got like two ovals stacked vertically that are like filled in. Then you got some kind of like volcano type shape with an oval on top of that. There's space between these figures and there's like a clover. There's like, like a clover. equilateral diamond. Yeah. It's like one of those things that kids would put shapes into the it, holes. It, it doesn't look like an actual language, but then I don't know. I'm not, I don't, I don't got a degree in language. One's got a heart on it though. You know? Oh yeah. It's like a heart on a stick. Yeah. I mean, right. When you look at it, Okay. Yeah. Mm. So based on the materials reported and recorded wind information, Professor Charles B. Moore, who worked on Project Mogul with NYU, believes that the debris found by Brazel was their flight four. Specifically, they knew where they were launched. They knew yeah. when they were launched. And so he's looking at weather patterns and the recovery and going, yeah, that was flight four. That was released June 14th, 1947 in this area. He was also photographed with the radar reflector that would then be attached to one of these balloons, and it looks very similar to the Roswell that debris. The That's the next photo. So now you see the man with the craft before it was launched. Oh, damn. I keep saying craft. It's it's a balloon. It's a balloon. But yeah, that's that's what it looks like intact. This looks like what they pulled up. Now, I'm this start, is very good stuff, right? Very good here. stuff. What if what if one were to have made that in 1987? took a photograph on an old camera and said, look, original evidence. Uh, yeah, now what? You totally could. Could you make a, guys, we got to make a balloon that uses these triangular shapes uh, in, in hieroglyphs. Dude, if like my life depended on it, I could do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you can, you can imitate that. Ah, <sighs> that's the frustrating thing. Oh, well, that's we'll the get frustrating there. thing about being on this podcast or a task force member. You want the facts, and you go, here are the facts. And you go, I don't know if I can believe said facts. <laughs> right, right. Thank you for these facts. Uh, I can't believe them. I'll take it into consideration. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn, man. Yeah. And that's where I started to get a little bit like, oh, my God, my tinfoil is too tight. I'm starting to go, eh, you could you could look at the Roswell debris. Now, now imagine a world. I'm just going to take a break from the, from the theory for a second. Imagine a world where it was a UFO, and you needed to prove to the world that it wasn't. You're like, ah, the congressman. From New Mexico, he's coming in asking for stuff. I don't know, Steve cobbled together something. He, so he makes this craft. And he goes, it looks like the same shape, looks like the same material. Take a black and white photograph of it. Tell him it's that, and tell him that that photo was taken 50 years ago, and everyone believes it. Now I'm just thinking an advanced alien species flying around their actual craft, going like, "Is that what the humans think we flew? That yeah. string of balloons? <laughs> yeah. Like, what would our cobbled together 
arts and crafts version of an alien spaceship look like? Would it be uh, this? Have to be saucer like because apparently they're all saucer like. That's true. I don't see a single like... disc on that plate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. No clue, man. I there like like recently I was um I was I was doing like a stream and then there was a lot of task force members in there. And I'm talking about like task force members that I've talked to mm -hmm. for years. And I feel like we've done nothing but keep it real on this podcast. And we're like, if we if we ever see anything, like you know, we're we're never gonna fake anything, any of that kind of stuff. I, I and I posed this question. I was like, task force members, if I was like to say like right now, like or just like I start up a, a, a stream tomorrow and be like, I we have discovered something, aliens are real. Would you believe me? No one said yes. Not a single person said yes. I'm like, we've done nothing on this podcast to be like, look, we're just going to keep it real. They've seen you de we're play just deception games. <laughs> but this is on Thread Web. It's a whole nother thing. It's but not. Like, None of y'all are going to believe. Like, if Trevor and I were just like, we found it. It's true. They're like, nope, not believing you. I'm like, what do you mean you're not believing us? Yeah. You're the people that's supposed to believe us first. We would become the person decrying that we were chucked out on the roof of Wendy's, slacks in a tree <laughs> yeah. down the road. We would be that Ryan Gosling sketch from SNL. And, and so that made me realize if we were to find anything legit, paranormal, uh, you like uh, extraterrestrial, there's nothing we can do, man. If we can't convince task force members that we found something, we ain't convincing nobody that we found <laughs> yeah, something, man. That's like, true. I was like, I was baffled to believe that they're like, hell no, we don't believe you guys found something. I'm like, like, oh, well, come on. We did nothing yeah. for like 200 all episodes. That, all that goodwill. I just want to say. All right, so, so now we've kind of, from this angle of the theory, addressed the crash, the debris, but we haven't addressed the supposed bodies. People were seeing bodies at oh, these crash yeah, sites. that's true. These balloons aren't going to be holding up children-sized aliens. So with regard for that, in 1997, an Air Force report titled Roswell, Case Closed, claimed that the dead bodies seen by UFO witnesses were most likely test dummies from testing parachute drops. What? Man, New Mexico's getting tested all over. I mean, look, if they're they blowing up bombs, they they're dropping test, balloons, they're they, throwing dummies in the air with they parachutes. They can test atomic bombs there. You can test anything there. I guess know? so. But well, like, what are the chances of doing that at the same time? Are they just like throwing a bunch of stuff up into the air? Well, it's not the same time. But remember, a lot of the body stories came from the late 70s and like around the 80s. Wait, wasn't that's there a second crash site and then that had the bodies? So, yeah, but that's when Barnett was like... 150 miles west and he was mm -hmm. saying I found I found bodies out there and then he passed away oh okay but also his story didn't come up for decades as well yeah and so this might answer why because the reports of the bodies found in Roswell had no physical evidence right but the project testing these parachute drops did happen in the 50s and so people could be conflating the two or using one to substantiate the other and then in the zeitgeist in the public psyche it just merged into one story, right? But I feel like if there were test dummies, you'd be able to tell that there was something that was man-made or some test dummy. Right. Right. But like, that ain't a good story. Like, uh, it's I wanna, not. I want to say it was a three-foot-tall alien from the Martian Southern Hemisphere. It's true. Telling me how they how they go skiing on those slopes. I'll, I'll be honest. The test dummies probably don't have a lot of detail, right? Right. So you me being a farmer that I am, Probably got some kind of pocket knife. I'd stab into the dummy. <laughs> oh, no. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's got a squeaker. <laughs> it's just that right. It's a, it doesn't have any. It doesn't look uh, like. Look, I'd be able to tell if that was a, a human or not immediately. Right, right. It's not. Cool. Stab right into it. 
It's probably doesn't. It's probably not detailed. And then you just go, wow, there's a lot of like I don't know foam in this thing. Yeah. What now, if you were? Uh, started bleeding. Well, <laughs> big, big oops. Someone's like big uh, oops. Someone's someone's mom like uh, call the ambulance, and you you go ha. Oh, God, call a second ambulance. Why did you stab me? Big oops. And I chucked that knife as far as I can. <laughs> well, your fingerprint's all over it. Yeah, I can't imagine these ranchers out there. I mean, they must be discovering it from afar, and they're also seeing crash debris, air quotes, but it's actually yeah. the parachute, but they don't want to get too close because they're like they're all hyped up on UFO mania and the Roswell incident story, and so then they see like a little leg sticking out of a shrub, and they're like, ah! Or were they out there with their cattle, just kind of doing what you do, looking, yeah. cow poking? I don't know if they poke the cows or if that, I don't know what that means, yeah, but yeah. they're out there. And then suddenly a six foot tall humanoid, 200 pound dummy man comes fumbling <laughs> out of the sky right next to you. I don't know if I'm investigating. I'm running. Uh, what, what is scarier? Like a seven foot one it's humanoid alien. <laughs> yeah, it's the one inch. Yeah. Seven foot one, like humanoid, lanky alien in the distance, or like a small, tiny, like three foot alien. So you're saying one seven foot one tall alien or a dozen one foot tall aliens? <laughs> no, just like just like one just one of each. One of each. If you if you like if you look down a yeah. hallway, there was like a seven foot one, one's important <laughs> alien. Lanky, yeah. Is that more terrifying than like a well, what's three the height of, foot well, alien? Well, is he three foot? Is he or is he two eleven? Two <laughs> two eleven and a half. Right. Okay. So then he's really aggressive because he because he doesn't have that extra one. I feel like like what what is scary to you? I'll be honest. Um, I feel like the tall lanky one would definitely be more scary. But once I thought about it for a split second, mm -hmm. both would be scary because um, all I've known. When I see uh, either a very small or a very tall alien, mm -hmm. they always got those psychic abilities. That's what I'm saying. I'm going to run at that small thing to try to like, yeah. I feel like I can tackle something smaller than me and right. like rustle it down to the how, ground. And like, bro, how can you punt something but, that but then can if control it your leg? Me. Right. Yeah. And then I start kicking myself. That's See, that's the thing. That's exactly my thought is like, if they're that tiny, then they probably have some type of telekinesis mm. because there hasn't been a need for evo like evolution to like... That's not true. To no, no. Body, maybe? Are you saying? Like, I don't know. Are you saying chimps? Know. Are you saying chimps have psychic abilities because they are not that tall? I'm just on this planet. I'm, everything less than three feet has psychic powers. I'm just saying, like an intelligent species Someone like that. Someone needs to animate this. Might not have the need I to grow. What, okay. And so therefore, because like, look, if I had psychic abilities, like I, I work out, if I had psychic abilities, I'd probably suffer from muscle fatigue because then I wouldn't be doing nothing but using my psychic abilities to get right. me some food. This man's laying and then on over the bench time, and the weights are just floating up and down. The you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't know nothing about nothing. So in my mind, the well, smaller you understood. are, the, strong, the, the smaller you are, the, the, the stronger your psychic ability is. I love it. I love this. this. You know what I'm saying? That's amazing. And so like, they they go throw you around. Right. The well, big that's a red, guy, red biological fact number one. Yeah. Okay. The big lanky guy is probably, you know, is is... is doesn't have muscle mass, but probably can do some weird lanky stuff. Right. He gestures slowly to things. You yeah. Know? yeah. But the little guy, that's, I don't know, man, mind control or something. <laughs> uh, that's just how I saw that. I, you know what? I was, I, 
I was thinking these things. But then when you came out with the definitive statement, <laughs> I, I went, okay, that's what you I know, sound I'm like. Not, I'm not a part of that team. <laughs> that's what I I'm sound not a like, part huh? of that team. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So as I kept implying, we got to get there. We got to get to the people claiming that the cover-up is a cover-up on a cover-up. And that is all fed by this very unfortunate fact, right? In the very same report, talking about Project Mogul, the Air Force found that all records, all records from the Roswell Air Force Base from January to October of 1947 has been destroyed. In 1995, Congressman Schiff told Tampa Bay Times, quote, documents that should have provided more information were destroyed. The military cannot explain who destroyed them or why. But that begins. Oh, that's a definitive, it happened then. It happened. Right? Well, well, it happened what? It happened Project Mogul or it happened UFO? Like UFO. Well, well, the document's about Project Mogul. The document that was released was about Project Mogul, but within that document, it was revealed that all the Roswell documents were destroyed. Come on, man. You don't, you don't just, one, like no one just destroys the documents. Right. Right? Not on accident. Not without like, I'm sure, a chain of command. Mm-hmm. I've seen succession. People pocket some papers. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But two, it's also just like, what? Like you got nothing to hide. Why destroy it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like well, there's, the there's like no motive at that point. They to don't be care like, about anyone finding out. They go, this is a top secret thing. No one ever needs to know about this. Flash forward 50 years, and it's all like so not advanced and so not secretive anymore that they go, okay, we can reveal it. But yeah, the people at the time. Yeah, they just destroyed everything because they were like, no, this is secret. Yeah. You know? It's just like, if there's nothing, then why even destroy? I mean, I guess if it's like some type of, like, how far in advance is this? Because then, like, maybe it was some type of military thing they didn't want to, like, let the public know. But mm. you'd see that. Yeah. Well, regardless. Like, why is like, there's, I don't know. I, I find it hard to find motive to destroy the documents if there's nothing there. Right. Especially if they're kept top secret anyway, stuffed away. Because, like, there's files coming out all over the place that are yeah. top secret that were stored somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. And because of that, many UFO believers see the revelation of Project Mogul and these destroyed documents and the crash test dummies, etc., etc., all of this as the true cover-up. Believers claim that the Air Force could have photographed a weather balloon instead of an actual crash debris. This is supported by Marcel's eventual claim that the photos were staged. And if it were a high-altitude balloon, some believe, right, we're introducing opinions here, but some believe that Marcel would have recognized the material due to his experience in aviation and familiarity with the weather balloons. But while Project Mogul balloons are definitely different, the materials used are mostly the same. So it just creates some, like, confusion. And Marcel was previously involved with nuclear weapons testing, so he could have been aware of Project Mogul or projects like it. And so when he's talking about it being a cover-up, that the weather balloon is the cover-up, it might be that he's speaking to the actual balloon that's underneath it. But if that's all the case, then why is he out there seeming adamant that there was a UFO at the crash site? Yeah. He's he's saying that the balloon was the cover-up, which I guess it was, in a sense. Yep. It wasn't a weather balloon, it was a different balloon, but I don't know. Marcel's just confusing me here. Hmm. Yeah, what, what would the motive be at that point? Yeah. Well, regarding the crash test dummies, they may explain the bodies seen during various UFO sightings in that area, but they are much taller than the reported Roswell bodies, which were, remember, quoted as being childlike in size, maybe I'm three saying, or four the feet. Two different, the two different types. Exactly. The tall ones and then the really strong-minded ones. <laughs> right. 
And they, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, but these crash test dummies and these parachute tests occurred later between 1953 and 1959, a six year spread that happened six years after Brazel's sighting. And so people are like, well, that it couldn't have been that because the, the dummies happened many years later. And I'm looking going, right, it couldn't have been that because they weren't there because yeah. people are looking back and conflating everything. Yep. But again, we're stuck in a place right, now where the air is so clouded with yeah, information and opinions and stuff that the observer coming into this case is going to see what they want to see. But to me, I mean, maybe I'm too trusting and maybe I'm trusting this evidence that came out with Project Mogul. I mean, again, who's to know what to believe anymore? But to me, Project Mogul seems like the proper revelation that we are far enough away from the Cold War. Remember, in 95, the Cold War had ended four years previous. So it's good timing that we right, go, yeah. all right, now that the Cold War is officially kind of over, we can reveal that, yeah, we were using microphones to listen in on the Russians, right? Mm. So I don't know. Timing keeps kind of working out yeah, a little bit. With, with your theories. It leans a little bit more towards this this Project Mogul stuff. And to me, that, to me, again, this is my yeah, opinion, yeah. it offers closure on otherwise a very intriguing story. It's a lot of twists and turns, a lot of clouds of information floating out there. But otherwise, the quintessential case in UAP and UFO conversations. Yeah, it's Roswell. Oh, yeah. Dang. See, again, knew of it, didn't know the details. You had no idea that psychic chimps were flying kites <laughs> up in look, the atmosphere. Look, Trevor, all right, <laughs> you believe in Project Mogul, which tells me that they got to you oh, somehow, some way. All right. Earworms. But I'm here to tell the task force at large that the smaller the body, the bigger the head, the tinier the hands, the stronger the powers are. Okay. And fear what is tiny. What is small? Right, right. And that's why no one's going to believe you when you come out and say that aliens are real. I don't know where in the evolutionary chain that the chimps got the shorthand or they got stunted. All right. But somewhere far in a galaxy beyond ours, it flourished. Maybe the great psychic battles of 15,000 BC. Could have been. You know? Could have been. You know, chimps went ham on those psychic abilities. Throwing each other through the air. Yeah. <laughs> That's where the missing link went. And, and, he only, was and only the physical survived. <laughs> maybe yeah. the maybe the missing link actually disappeared, like David Copperfield. That's why we can't find him. Or there were chimps even smaller. What if the current chimps were the seven foot one chimps of their, of their time? You know what Whoa. I'm saying? And we're chimps half their size. <laughs> Again, smaller body. Are we the bigger giants? head? Tinier hands, stronger mind. Christian's broken. He's oh wheezing now. <laughs> well, what started as a sane conversation about the insane became an insane conversation about even more insane items. Task Force, you never know what you're going to get. But thank you so much for listening. I'm so happy that we finally covered Roswell. It is a quintessential case. It is the cornerstone of UFO conversations. And we've talked about so many fascinating UFO cases only to end up here with the conversation of psychic apes and <laughs> and tiny humans. I'm just, you know, hey, any any topic for Red Web can lead anywhere. And that's what makes Red Web Red Web. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> all right, with all that said, Fredo, I'll see you right back here next Monday for yet another mystery. <laughs>